Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. With the holidays just around the corner, now is the time to order holiday cards for family and friends. Only this year? Why not create custom holiday photo cards quickly, easily, and affordably at simplytoimpress.com? Simplytoimpress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique Christmas cards and other designs to choose from. All you do is upload your family photos, personalize the text, and you're done. Simplytoimpress.com prints your cards on your choice of premium card stock in just a few days and rushes them straight to your door. Maybe that's why the New York Times wire cutter named Simply to Impress their favorite photo card service. They even offer foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs for your business, too. Place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com. All right, it's Monday, it's raining, it's 1.30 in the morning, it's December 30th, the final Monday of 2019, December 30th, 2019, we're talking uncut gems, brilliant performance from Adam Sandler, as well as Kevin Garnett, gotta give KG some credit as well, in uncut gems, another Safdie Brothers, uh, brilliant performance with uncut gems, movie of the year in my opinion, we'll talk about why it's the movie of the year. We're also talking Star Wars Episode Nine. We're going to talk a little bit about why George Lucas didn't like The Rise of Skywalker. Obi-Wan Kenobi wasn't in it. No Ewan McGregor. I was promised Ewan McGregor from one of my buddies. Won't happen. We'll talk about it with Kyle Borg later in the week. But I do want to get into uh, George Lucas's uh, 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 not, not, not liking it. He didn't like the movie. We'll get into that and much more uncut gems star wars episode nine the rise of skywalker here on december 30th 2019 the o show is presented by belly up sports we are what they are remember to use the promo code o show 10 that's capital o s h o w 10 for ten dollars off your next order using tickpick.com you should have used tickpick and by mecha nutrition remember to use the promo code o show 20 that's capital o s h o w 20 i think i got that right O-S-H-O-W-20 for $20 off your next order at MeccaNutritionStore.com. That's MeccaNutritionStore.com. Star Wars Uncut Gems. Let's go. Like I said, it's the final Monday of the year, 2019, in the books on Wednesday. Today is December 30th, 2019. Merry Christmas, by the way, to all listeners out there. I hope everyone had a great Christmas holiday. I hope everyone had a great uh, New Year as well. I hope it's been a healthy holiday for most. It hasn't been for me at all or anyone else in my family. It seems that nobody got their flu shots this year. Everyone is getting the flu. So hopefully your holiday season is a lot healthier than mine. I don't want to talk about the flu though. Nobody does. I want to talk about Adam Sandler's performance in Uncut Gems. I want to talk about Star Wars. It's the end of the saga. 
third trilogy, episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker. I kind of want to get into why George Lucas didn't enjoy the film that much because, again, Disney's taken over. The Mandalorian is out. Bill Burr and Giancarlo Esposito headlining that. I have no idea why they picked those two. I got to get more into it. I guess everybody's just going uh, bananas over these little, uh, little Yodas, but whatever. I don't want to talk about any of that right now. I just want to talk about Adam Sandler's performance in Uncut Gems for the moment. We'll get into George Lucas's thoughts on The Rise of Skywalker in a moment. But Adam Sandler's performance in Uncut Gems, his new movie now screening in all theaters across the country, it was by far... And by far his best performance to date, uh, beating out, what, 51st Dates, Grown Ups, you name it. Uh, he was playing the role of Howard Ratner, an absolute mess of a gambler and a jeweler who uh, buys a rare gem from the Ethiopian miners for a hundred grand, I think they said a hundred thousand dollars, and then lends it to Kevin Garnett, who's playing for the Boston Celtics at the time, world champion in 2008. This movie was based in 2012, I believe, when Garnett was still playing in Boston. Remember, you get him and Paul Pierce get traded to Brooklyn, and then he eventually retires. Garnett, who, for a former athlete, like I said, he played a great role in this movie. For a former athlete and non-actor, actually plays a very sizable role in this film, as well as Mike Francesa as Howard's bookie named Gary. It was funny. The first time I ever saw this trailer, Uncut Gems, was in Phoenix, Arizona, and when Mike Francesa popped up on the screen, it was dead silent. I almost got up and started clapping. Then I see the movie here in New Jersey, and he gets a standing ovation in the movie theater, so... That's culture for you. You got to see the movie again out in theaters now. But here's my take on a couple of things that went down. And I wanted to start with the overlook, the overview, the plot of the movie. It was directed by, of course, the Safdie brothers, Joshua and Benjamin. The actual plot of the movie revolves around Howard Ratner. That's Adam Sandler, for those of you uh, keeping count at home. He's trying to get back a precious gem that he bought from Ethiopian miners after he lent it to... Uh, basketball star Kevin Garnett, who does uh, his hilariously uh, kooky riff on himself in an unusually sizable role, again, for a non-actor and athlete. Uncut Gems slowly, I'd say, peels back the layers, you could say, on just how many places Howard has money and how many places he owes money, uh, which lets the film unravel into chaos of sad and unhealthy promises that we can tell aren't going to be fulfilled at all. He's a very bad gambler, very bad businessman, is Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. And aside from Kevin Garnett, the rest of the supporting cast is strong as well. Uh, Idina Menzel, I think I got that right, who's a singer, by the way, was Howard's soon-to-be ex-wife because he cheated on her. I think that's that was the main thing there. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield as the, the middleman between Howard and Garnett, kind of his partner in crime at the jeweler store. Uh, and particularly a standout in this one was uh, Eric Bog- Bogzian, uh, as well as many people Howard owes money to, Julia Fox, who apparently has never acted before. I mean, this is one of her first big movies, was a star in it as the mistress, you could say. But with a unique uh, emotional tie was uh, Eric Bogdan character. He was, I think, the uncle of Adam Sandler, of Howard Ratner, though he wanted to kick his ass the entire film and almost killed him. I mean, well, you got to see the movie. Some Something big happens, but he doesn't kill him. Someone else does. <clears throat> you see, you got to see the movie. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the movie, 
don't listen to the show, but I need the listens. So keep on listening. You never know when Adam Sandler is going to emerge from lowbro comedies or, you know, like set in tropical locations with Jennifer Aniston or uh, who's the other chick? Who's the other chick? 51st Dates. Come on, Drew Barrymore. And uh, you didn't think he was really capable of something like this. Like, you thought he was going to emerge from lowbrow comedies. I got that one right. Lowbrow comedies set in tropical locations to really, really make something here. But when he does, and he did here, he surely collaborates, you could say, with some fascinating artists from Paul Thomas Anderson to Noah Baumbach to now Josh and Benny Safdie, directing brothers who have slowly but surely emerged into the larger cinematic conversation by making small but very effective stylish films about what many would consider real New Yorkers. And when Sandler gets serious, he also gets experimental. Just as the Safdie brothers' last film, Good Time, gave a rise to a career best work from Robert Pattinson, Uncut Gem shows us an Adam Sandler we've never seen before. And we've never seen this in Adam Sandler. I just remember watching the previews like this is this could be one of the best movies he's ever been in. And while most of the Billy Madison stars serious roles have been about more, you know, comedic meek men, his character here, Howard Ratner, a a Jewish jewelry store owner. I don't know why he plays a Jew in all of his movies. Uh, a Jewish person. I know he is Jewish, but I don't know why he has to. Like he's he grew up in New Hampshire, the Massachusetts area. He's never played a Bostonian in any of his movies. But that's besides the point. He's a Jewish jewelry store owner in Midtown Manhattan with a gambling addiction. Uh, excludes nothing but confidence. His fatal flaw is putting trust in others to do as they say. Uh, they're going to uh, what they're going to do when it comes to precious jewels, as well as relying on luck and uh, intuition to fill his blanks when they don't. Because you see throughout this entire movie, just bad things keep happening to him. He keeps making bad decisions, and they affect him. When things are going great, he 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 he's. I'll just say this: he's the opposite of even keel. When things are going great, he's as high as a kite. When things are going bad, he 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 gets emotional. He's bawling his eyes out like a 12-year-old girl. Howard is a person desperate to live independently. He just needs to call in a few favors to do so. Sandler's big, loud take on Howard is perfect for the uh, fast nature of New York's jewel trading culture, but it's also deceptive, kind of, as a number of uh, blink-and-you'll-miss-some moments and glances mine the character's uh, humanity for all, all of its worth. The one thing I could say about this movie for Adam Sandler is that it's go, 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 like, snap your fingers, go, go, go. There's not a moment in that movie where you can sit back and relax and think that, oh, this is just filler time. Nothing's going to happen here. And the fact that Sandler is willing and entirely capable of going deep into Howard's soul breathes life into the chaos of the film style. I mean, again, you got to watch the trailer. The Safdie brothers continue to own it here, employing rapid cuts, intense close-ups, not to get into the director's chair here for a moment, intense close-ups, harsh lightning, uh, loads of neon, a lot of colors here, and a moody synth, you could say, score to create a hectic, anxiety-inducing uh, mood that assaults the senses until the film's resolution, of course, at the very end. Very exciting ending, as it was throughout the entire film. There's a gorgeous 
grunge to the film, you could say. I'll use that word, grunge. Uh, reminiscent of the 1970s Martin Scorsese, uh, who fittingly serves as executive producer as Uncut Gems winds up being a small-scale crime saga, unafraid to dish out harsh realities. Because this is this wasn't a true story. It took place in real time, but not a true story. Uh, but this could happen, and people do live like this. There are jewelers out there and gamblers out there that live like this, albeit with just enough heart. Uh, it's an aggressive film, visually, spiritually, though one with characters better off than most of the Safties. Other leads, more money on screen and off gives more room to play as artists, you can say, as directors, but there's just a hint of extra grime from Good Time or even Indie Gem, heaven knows what, it's hard not to miss. Even so, this film does virtually no harm to their growing and generally uh, uh, deserves utter status, like utter status. The, The actual plot of the film revolves around Howard Ratner trying to get back a precious gem he bought from Ethiopian miners after, again, he lended it to Kevin Garnett. And the way the script evolves this story is shockingly cohesive, considering just about every scene has 10 conversations happening at once. That's why he deserves an Oscar for this Adam Sandler, and I do believe he'll get one. This was movie of the year. To me, personally, this was better than Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. I, I, I think... Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems, it's going to be tough to beat. And the chaos of the content and the style does, however, make it a while before we can get invested in Howard. So the first act and part of the second feel a bit like an emotional plateau. But in that period, it's easy to just marvel at Sandler's performance and all of the different elements of the Safties are just juggling all at once because there is a lot of shit going on all at once. But most importantly, by the time we reach the insane third act, as tensions mount and characters take actions that they can't take back, we do come to really care for Adam Sandler as Howard Ratner. And the ending packs an emotional wallop, I guess you can say, but is entirely satisfying and serves the characters right. I mean, Uncut Gems is ultimately a story about how you can trade good luck for goodwill, a lesson not every character learns by the end, and they suffer for it. Again, this could happen in real life. It could happen to any one of us. But like a rare stone, I'll use the word stone, it is gems, uncut gems, a lot of jewels. Uh, These rare stone films that combine down-to-earth stakes and genuine emotional investment are hard to come by. The Safdie brothers have made another rough film, but once again, there's a diamond. Again, I gotta use that word, diamond, it's uncut gems. It was an absolute diamond at the center of it by the Safdie brothers. The verdict for me is that the Safdie brothers continue their winning streak of making harshly real films about everyday New Yorkers with fatal flaws. But this time, they've also given Adam Sandler a platform to show just how good he is with the right collaborators. The results are as stylish as they are affecting, you could say. Adam Sandler, 100% best movie he's ever been in. He's a comedian who played the role of, uh, it's a dra- I think it's a drama slash comedy, has a few comedic moments in it, but this is something that was well out of his comfort zone, something I know he's been planning for years. This was A-OK with me, movie of the year, uncut gems, see it now, came out on cri- Christmas, saw it Christmas Day. 
you gotta go see Uncut Gems. It, it, it's, a, it's a fucking thriller. But before we get into anything else, again, it is still the holiday season. It's New Year's tomorrow, but there are still gifts to be wrapped, and that's why you gotta go to STI Holiday. And after that, I kind of want to talk about what happens at the end. Very, uh, very gory scene at the end. Very truthful scene at the end. Very charismatic, very exciting scene at the end. Again, spoilers, if you don't want to listen to it, go see the freaking movie. It's out in theaters right now. Go see it. But for now, let's talk to STI Holiday. With the holidays just around the corner, now is the time to order holiday cards for family and friends. Only this year, why not create custom holiday photo cards quickly, easily, and affordably at simplytoimpress.com. Simplytoimpress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique Christmas cards and other designs to choose from. All you do is upload your family photos, personalize the text, and you're done. Simplytoimpress.com prints your cards on your choice of premium card stock in just a few days and rushes them straight to your door. Maybe that's why the New York Times wire cutter named Simply to Impress their favorite photo card service. They even offer foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs for your business, too. Place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com. So as Uncut Gems unwinds towards the end, there are a ton of unsettling series of events that lead to, again, the ending scene for Adam Sandler and Howard Ratner. So intense levels of paranoia, intensity, a lot of scary moments, all rapidly increasing until the, the, the final burst, you could say, in the Uncut Gems ending. And for what it's worth, this climax is just as stressful as the rest of the uh, the rest of the movie, uh, concluding uh, one on one uh, last shot that may have had the audience members scratching their heads out of the theater. I sure did. Uh, but here's a breakdown of all that happening in the Uncut Gems ending. There comes to a point in Uncut Gems where it seems like a very fine line is crossed at the end. Like I said, throughout this entire movie, Adam Sandler uh, is making a lot of money, but he owes a, mo- a lot of money. Uh, witnessing Howard Ratner squirm out of countless numbers of close calls and dodgy bets while simultaneously digging himself into deeper holes, into bigger and bigger holes, the viewer begins to sense that there is absolutely no way that this gambler and New York jeweler can come out on top or alive to that matter. And to the film's credit, though, for a, a good long while, Howard looks like he may actually wiggle his way out of this jam. But after botching his chances at the auction where uh, Kevin Garnett buys the uncut gem for, I think, almost 200 grand uh, by asking, uh, this is if Sandler asking his father-in-law, Gooey, uh, I think that was his name, Gooey, weird name, but uh, asked him to drive up the price uh, so Garnett would pay more, and he didn't. So Howard and Garnett soon come to an understanding over the gym, though, finally settling on uh, $175,000, I believe, for the gym. Uh, the basketball star had originally offered, that was his original pl- uh, price, one hundred and seventy-five grand before the betting took place, before the auction took place, excuse me. And uh, that, that's what he originally offered towards the beginning of the film, though he now has enough money to pay off his brother-in-law, which I think he paid 190 grand for, for the jewel because he thought Kevin Garnett was going to outbid him. And uh, the, the, the uncle, whose patience is quickly drying out, 
uh, Howard Ratner opts instead to put the money on the line once again. So instead of paying his family member back uh, his uh, his owed 175, his owed 190, Howard Ratner opted to put the money on the line once again in a huge gamble and place another bet on Kevin Garnett now that he has the jewel back. I guess it was like his good luck charm. And handing off the money to Julia, who's his girlfriend, his mistress, you could say, who in turn sneaks uh, out of the office away from Arno's goons. Arno, of course, playing another family member who's out to get Howard Ratner because he owes him a ton of a ton of big bucks and uh, all of his goons into a casino. Howard then traps his brother-in-law and his muscle men in between the locked doors separating the jewelry store from the hallway. And in this predicament, Howard forces them to watch, uh, I think it was Celtics 76ers, uh, second round of the postseason in the NBA playoffs in 2012 as Kevin Garnett um, it has a historic game. It's Kevin Garnett's historic performance providing the gambling jeweler with his big break. I think he won over $1.2 million. And Arno, awestruck by what he just witnessed, experienced a change of heart. He was out to get Adam Sandler throughout this entire movie, but then he won the bet $1.2 million. Everybody's getting paid at this point. He's happy, and though his hitman, though, Phil, who was played by Keith Williams Richards, it, it, he doesn't have the same heart of hearts. And after being relinquished, from uh, the claustrophobic prison Howard had kept them in for the, dura- the, the duration of the game. Remember, they were stuck in between uh, the front door and the hallway. Uh, he had a gun on him. Phil le- leaps up, steams over to Howard, and shoots him right in the head at point-blank range. So that that's, that's the final destination for Adam Sandler. He dies, and when Arno protests to the death of his brother-in-law, he's like, why the hell would you do that? We made our money. Phil uh, similarly... Uh, shoots his boss in the head, and before proceeding uh, to the rest of the jewelry, the rest of the loot, you could say, Howard store all of the jewelry inside, gone like that, robbed, so it's a robbery and a homicide from Keith William Richards to Adam Sandler and his brother-in-law. So that's how the ending, uh, that's how it ends. And Howard Ratner's death, uh, it's explained, Uncut Gems' final shot leaves off uh, Howard's corpse lying on its back and staring up at the sky and I guess you could say rapidly growing pool of blood. I mean, it didn't really stop. And the camera engages in another one of its uncomfortably extensive zooms. Another great shot by the Safdie brothers, this time uh, penetrating through the bullet hole in Howard's cheek and through his head until finally coasting through the familiar geologic and colorful terrain of, of the opal. The opal, of course, being the uncut gem. You saw this at the beginning of the movie. This uh, symbiotic conclusion confirms what the bulk of Uncut Gems' hour-and-a-half runtime infers, that Howard Ratner's life revolved around greed. And as simple as that. The Safdie brothers have confirmed to the rap that uh, the, the aesthetic achieved by peering into uh, the gemstone is a representation of the circle of life. So just as Howard had lived by the pursuit of money, just so he had died. And where does the money go, you may ask? Again, I think it was Julia uh, Wolf who had the money last. Julia's rather heroic exit making off with Howard's money. Again, $1.2 million worth of uh, cash. Howard's money, it sealed Uncut Gems off on a relatively happy note, you can say. In reality, should Uncut Gems have continued, Julia's happiness would not have lasted long, given that she would have inevitably discovered that the life she was excited to begin with, the man she was prepared to spend it with, were now both dead. So this 
does leave the question of what happens with Howard's winnings up in the air because Julia was aware of Howard's uh, 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 familial situation and that she that one pervasive scene with The weekend, who is a good person, great rapper, it's likely that she wouldn't uh, have left Howard's three fatherless children completely ignorant of their father's grand prize. Again, $1.2 million. Splitting, I, I guess splitting the several hundreds of thousands of dollars with the rest of the Ratners in their time of grieving, though the children other than Howard's eldest son don't seem to be uh, too enthused by their father. It, it's a good feeling knowing that, I guess, Julia Wolf has a relatively open path at a new start in New York City or anywhere else that she'd probably please. This is assuming, of course, that Julia makes it out with the money alive because, again, they know that the bet happened. The the two guys, Richards knows that it happened. They might be after her next because Howard Ratner has been killed. It is very possible that the few remaining people that he owed would relinquish their pursuit of getting their money back, of course. Again, he owed a lot of people a lot of money, but Phil and his team as the only people who know how much money Howard had just earned could very possible go after her in the cash, especially since their professional ties with Arno have ceased to be. They killed the guy. They shot him point blank. But if what happened to Julia was of pressing concern, the Safdie brothers would have included it in Uncut Gems. They're horrifyingly entrapping tale of greed, addiction, and in an odd way, Judaism. Because again, uh, Adam Sandler, like I mentioned before, uh, brings Judaism into this. A lot of scenes, a lot of scenes where uh, they show off the religion, I guess you could say. So with that being said, that's my Uncut Gems review. Again, go see it in theaters. It's out now. It's been out since Christmas. Adam Sandler, Oscar-worthy performance, performance of a lifetime for the comedian Adam Sandler. With that being said, let's get into a little bit of Star Wars. The only thing I want to talk about Star Wars, because we'll talk to Kyle Borg later in the week, the full review of The Rise of Skywalker. I want to talk to you about why George Lucas may have not liked the film. He did have a little say in it. He did get together with with the cast, with the production crew on this movie, so I want to get into that. But first, a quick word from Mecha Nutrition. Do you find yourself constantly working on your physique only to find no real results? Or are you officially fed up with your lack of progress in weight loss and weight gain programs? Then do I have a solution for you. Mecha Nutrition, build a better you. Choose from a variety of products including protein, carbohydrates, creatine, pre-workouts, vitamins, and more. Why choose Mecha Nutrition? Mecha Nutrition is a family-owned and operated sports nutrition store located in the heart of Bakersfield, California. Mecca's goal is to provide you, the customer, with the best customer service, nationally recognized products that you know are tried and true, and most of all, they have the best prices around. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to contact Mecca Nutrition via social media on Facebook and Instagram at Mecca Nutrition. You can email them or you can call the shop as well at 661-695-9061. Again, that's 661-695-9061. I've been using Mecca Nutrition products for over a year and a half now. And for someone with an extremely high metabolism, I can tell you that these products work. I gained nearly 25 pounds of muscle after using Mecca's select products in the protein and carb aisle with products such as Redcon 1 meal replacement protein and carbs, as well as Neil's hookups. So feel free to call the shop or email Mecca's 
general manager at Neil or Neil at MechaNutritionStore.com. Rumor has it, if you mention Mecha Nutrition, you may come away with an added discount as well, but you didn't hear it from me. So go check it out if you want to transform your body and get into the best shape possible right now. Mecha Nutrition, build a better you. Again, this is The O Show, episode 134, December 30th, 2019. We're talking Uncut Gems, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Just talked about how Adam Sandler's uh, performance in Uncut Gems was arguably the best movie of his entire career. All comedy aside, great drama film from Adam Sandler. Best of luck at the Oscars. Now we're going to move on to Star Wars and uh, how George Lucas actually... Uh, both didn't want to be a part of it, but ended up being a part of it. George Lucas actually helped craft the rise of uh, Skywalker's story. And according to Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy, the creator of Star Wars, George Lucas himself, had a hand in the rise of Skywalker. But before we get into that, I just wanted to talk about uh, uh, today's episode, December 31st, 2019, 135. We're going to have a review of the Osho 2019 Best Moments. Going to take a look at the uh, top 10 best moments from 2019, make some predictions on 2020, take a look at the all-decade team of the New York Yankees. We're also going to touch up on some of our best interviews from 2019, a couple of Major League Baseball players, a couple of entrepreneurs, uh, pro wrestler, current world champion in the business, all that and more coming your way tomorrow. But for now, we're going to talk about how uh, George Lucas had a hand in the rise of Skywalker. So it was actually Kennedy who said uh, we sat down with George Lucas for a long meeting before we ever put pen to paper on this final episode. So we had the benefit of his thoughts. So that's what Kennedy told EW article. We took a lot of notes. And I think George Lucas actually said himself in an interview four years ago that he wanted nothing to do with it just because it would reopen the wound. I think he said something about whenever you break up with someone, the first rule is you never call them. You never ask how they're doing. And this is exactly what J.J. Abrams and the production team did. But it made Star Wars what it was. And in October of 2012, I think it was, Lucas actually uh, sold. This is George Lucas. He sold Lucasfilm to Walt Disney for $4.5 or maybe just four. $4.05 billion. And prior to the sale, he named Kathleen Kennedy Lucasfilm president, a role she remains in to this day. And since then, he's had little professional involvement in the world of Star Wars since Disney bought it over. But however, despite some misgivings around the time of The Force Awakens, George Lucas has taken a slightly more active role in the franchises, consulting not on just The Rise of Skywalker, but on Disney Plus's live-action Star Wars uh, series, The Mandalorian, uh, that we talked about earlier. Bill Burr and Giancarlo Esposito playing big roles in that show. And, of course, this one directed, uh, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, directed and co-written by J.J. Abrams, um, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, uh, Oscar Isaac. The list goes on and on. Mark Hamill, of course, and, of course, Harrison Ford making his return after dying in Episode 7 in The Force Awakens. He's back, makes a cameo appearance. It's all good, but I wanted to give my quick review on it before we talk about it. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks when Kyle sees the movie. Still hasn't seen the movie yet. Big Star Wars guy. Never saw the movie. We'll talk about that later. But at the beginning of The Rise of Skywalker, the evil First Order is in shambles after the death of unpopular villain Supreme Leader Snoke in Episode 8. I never really got too involved, too engaged with Supreme Leader Snoke. Never really thought he was a a great character. So 
This is it, though, everybody. This is how Star Wars ends. The saga ends, Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. At least this is how Star Wars was supposed to end at one time. George Lucas conceived that the space saga as a uh, nine-part series with the original trilogy episodes uh, four through six coming out in the 70s and 80s, the prequel trilogy episodes one through three coming out in the 90s and early 2000s, and then the final trilogy seven through nine coming out in the 2010s, uh, 2015, 2017, and now 2019. And since then... Of course, the Star Wars world, you could say, has expanded beyond the films with books, TV shows, we just talked about The Mandalorian, toys, theme park attractions, and of course other films with uh, the Solo story coming out. And with the universe growing at every opportunity, it's hard to see the rise of Skywalker as the culmination of a 40-plus year journey that it's supposed to be, which is just fine because if this really is the end of Star Wars, then the franchise is ending on a very disappointing note, and here's why. At the beginning of The Rise of Skywalker, the evil First Order, again, like I mentioned, is in shambles after the death of uh, Supreme Leader Snoke being killed in Episode 8. New Supreme Leader Kylo Ren, of course, played by Adam Driver. He's Ben Solo, Han Solo's kid, Princess Leia's son, tracks down a surprise returning villain who agrees to help the First Order conquer the galaxy if Kylo can kill Jedi in training Rey, who's played by Daisy Ridley. Uh, of course, that, that, that returning villain is Emperor Palpatine, the evil emperor, Darth Sidious, the guy who never ages, it seems like. He's got to be like 500 years old in the movie, but that's besides the point. Rey, who's a member of the Resistance group led by General Leia, Princess Leia, the late Carrie Fisher, who's in this movie, sets out to find and destroy the First Order's new backer, aided by friends Finn and Poe, Chewbacca, of course, another guy who never ages, CP3O, who's kind of there for the comedic act. Uh, he never ages as well, not at all, he's a robot. But the group is pursued from one planet to another by Kylo Ren, who has a connection to Rey through the ever-mysterious force and wants her to rule the galaxy by his side. And though that's going to be tricky with the whole she's not evil thing. And this movie was never able to inspire any really consistent feelings in me, just lots of little ones. I mean, Rey is still a likable protagonist, though she's so far along in her Jedi training that uh, her near perfection makes her nearly unrelatable. And Kylo is so determined to bite every hand that feeds him that I simply could not see a future for him beyond this movie. And initially, interesting characters like Finn and Poe are barely developed in Episode Nine. They just exist to be behind the controls of spaceships during the chase scenes and battles. The, the Princess Leia character is finally given satisfying closure. It was going to be interesting to see how they killed her off in this movie after Episode Eight blew its chance. I was surprised that such a full performance from Carrie Fisher was in reserve. The idiot villain spells out his evil plan so Ray knows exactly which pitfalls to avoid. I mean, cameos and returns from the dead, like I mentioned, Harrison Ford is back, were once exciting in this series. Now I just warily tick them off as they come and go. This movie wants to remind viewers of Harry Potter, basically, with the relationship between Ray and the new slash old villain in Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, but it really wants to remind viewers 
of Avengers Endgame almost with its climatic space battle and a certain exchange of dialogue. It all adds up to a bland, forgettable movie in my eyes. I still remember CP3O's uh, reintroduction in Episode 8 as one of the funniest scenes of 2015. I think it was Episode 7, Episode 7. One of the funniest scenes back in 2015 when that movie came out, The Force Awakens. I still remember uh, cheering loudly for Luke Skywalker and Kylo Ren, that showdown in Episode 8 back in 2017. And it's been only two days since I saw Episode 9, and I'm struggling to remember anything about the movie, including how I felt about it. This is Star Wars, so it's going to make a lot of money through the end of 2019. Again, only one day left into 2020. It'll bleed into 2020. But I'd expect its business to fall off soon after that because it's utter lack of remarkability. And if George Lucas wants the series that his legacy to end on a high note, he's going to have to make another movie and round things out with an even episode 10. Because to me, it was just, again, a forgettable movie in my eyes. But that's my take. We'll hear Kyle Borg's take later in the week. This is episode 134 of The O Show presented by Belly Up Sports. We are what they aren't. Check out all content, articles, and podcasts at bellyupsports.com or follow us on the Twitter at Belly Up Sports and at Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. And we're also sponsored by TickPick, of course. You should have used TickPick. Go get your tickets now by using the promo code OSHO10. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-10 for $10 off your next order. Remember to use the promo code OSHO20, capital O-S-H-O-W-20, for $20 off your next order at mechanutritionstore.com. Hit it, Hootie. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.